Hello and welcome to another episode of 10,000 Hours. I'm Grant Spanier. And I'm Vince Kochi. <laughs> I was questioning my own last name there for a moment. <laughs> I've been <laughs> hesitated. Am I Grant Spanier? Who, who is the real Grant Spanier? <sighs> what a great setup for this great episode, Grant. <laughs> Truly. Uh, and this is uh, episode 134. And Vince, is this Fibonacci? If it's Because 1 plus 3 equals 4. Oh, I think Fibonacci specifically refers to one, one, two, four, etc. Mm. Wait, agree to disagree. <laughs> I think I got that wrong anyway. But you know what we got right, which it was having Sean McCabe on the show. Uh, you might know him as Sean Wes, but he was he was an excellent, gracious, and generous guest. Yeah, he was. Uh, I've been following his stuff for a long time on the internet. He's put out a ton of generous, interesting work, and uh, the podcast was no different. It was uh, both generous and interesting. <laughs> it was. And we talked about something that's really close to his his core ideal, which is deliberate, uh, being deliberate in what you're doing. We've talked about intentionality a lot in a lot of different ways on the show, uh, but don't be fooled. We cover a lot of ground that was previously uncharted, uh, mostly thanks to the very insightful nature of Mr. McCabe. Yeah, uh, phenomenal episode. It was it was a real treat to have him, and uh, in the in the spirit of that. Uh, that episode of how good it was and and uh, Sean having a new book out uh, which is called Overlap uh, which I've just kind of started digging into and I, I dug into a little bit uh, prior to the episode and uh, it's really really great I, I think it's so helpful for people uh, finding focus and honing in on their creative talents and, and passions uh, Sean is giving away uh, the audiobook to 10,000 Hours listeners uh, of course if you listen to the episode before September 30th uh, but if uh, if you're interested in taking advantage of that, uh, go check out the book, and you can download the audiobook for free. That uh, uh, overlap, which is at seanwest.com/book, and uh, use the offer code ten thousand. Oh, excuse me, ten khrs. I'm so used to those Squarespace codes, Vince. <laughs> uh, so <that's, laughs> I know, good catch. Yeah, good catch. Actually, I would have never even noticed. Yeah. Uh, but so the Sean, your code is ten khrs. Oh. Just to be very clear. <laughs> yeah, and do do that. I mean, a free, a f- not only is it just a free book, free knowledge, which you should be all over, but it's coming from a really interesting and, and really heartfelt source. And the generosity in, in giving us access to that is, is really great. So, Sean, thank you so much, not only for joining the program, but for sharing your knowledge with us and our listeners. Uh, and thank you, listeners, for taking that knowledge or just for listening and supporting us no matter what uh hopefully you enjoy as much as we did episode 134 deliberate Yeah. yeah, I've done a few. You've done a few, right? <laughs> I, I, do you know how many? Um, I guess if you add up all the shows, maybe four to five hundred. Yeah, nice. Oh, that's plenty. <laughs> Man, it has been a minute since I gave a good uh, a good throat clearing cough into the mic. It's. You know, it's going to sound insincere to say it, 
Grant, but that really, it's a restorative sound to me. I, wow. it, it's nostalgic, especially being away from it for so long. It really made me happy to hear. Yeah, truly. We've been on a little bit of a summer hiatus, uh, soaking up some sun, but here we are, clearing our throats. And Vince, I do have a question for you. Grant, I'm all ears. I was wondering, uh, what have you been putting your time into? What are you working on, Ben? Well, I'm glad you did ask. Uh, part of the reason for our little mini hiatus, our basically took August off, was a couple of weddings that I was officiating, and then also eight days in Toronto, where I was on a commercial shoot for Comcast Spotlight uh, on behalf of my agency, Yamamoto. It was really big, and it was three days, and it was uh, a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun, and we have a beautiful raw product that we're putting through edit right now. Very exciting. I'm so proud of you. I feel like that's that's sort of like the advertising nerd, advertising student dream is like getting to work on a bigger commercial. Oh, yeah, it is. It is, man. I know it's like easy to sometimes be cynical about the ad industry for good reason, but it was really a a highlight, a a jewel in the crown um, for me personally, and I learned a lot. So very positive experience. And the weddings. I sorry, I have to. Ask oh my gosh, what an honor! I don't mean to gush about it, but to be asked by some of your closest friends to preside over such a fun and special day is like, and twice is really heart, heart melting. I would say. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Grant, and and that takes care of me. But what about you? I know you've been busy too. What have you been putting your time into recently? Indeed, I've been in uh, varying stages of pre-production or post-production hell uh, on videos. (laughs) (laughs) It's been really exciting. I've been working on some bigger music videos, but uh, as a director, you are, uh, you know, you you get a little bit less, uh, not respect, but you you are not the hot commodity as compared to the artists you're working with. Uh, their time is the most valuable thing. And sometimes uh, it's it's tough to just get on the calendar. So, I, you know, I've been working mm-hmm. uh, working on a bunch of that stuff, though. It's, it's been great. I'm, I'm really excited. Been making some moves on, on the music video front. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned a few, and they sound like awesome opportunities. So uh, <laughs> sorry for the calendar suffrage. Uh, hopefully it all starts to smooth out, man. Certainly. And, uh, you know, it's great to be back to the pod, and especially for our guest today, somebody who I've been pretty familiar with his work uh, for a few years now, I think. Uh, I think I subscribed to his newsletter quite some time ago, maybe when it was more... I just I remember encountering him when he was doing more specifically hand-lettering work, um, and I've been kind of following along that journey for a while now. And so it's a real treat to have him on the, on the show today. That uh, that gentleman is Mr. Sean McCabe uh, of SeanWest.com. Uh, welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Sean, I'll interject here to take the honors, uh, I guess by force this time, uh, to ask you, what have you been putting your time into recently? What are you working on? Oh, goodness. Well, uh, so I wrote a book a year ago, exactly a year ago, 12 months ago, and it is only just now about to be released and it's called Overlap. So I feel like for a a total of 13 months now, I've been really focused on and working on and editing and designing and and getting the word out about this book Overlap. That's been my focus. (sighs) Delayed gratification. Uh, Yeah, love to hear about authorial work and, and getting published and getting it out there. Uh, sort of a dream of my own. What is, do you want to talk about it a little bit? Uh, this is your chance. 
Okay, I, I, I'm excited about it, so I would love to. Um, <laughs> overlap is this concept of starting a business while you're working a full-time job. So there's kind of like two paths you could go if you want to start a business or pursue something that you're passionate about and still support yourself and pay bills. Uh, you could either make the leap and try and figure it out. And, you know, some people do this, like they're the type that jump out of a plane and try and build a parachute on the way down. Um, and that works for some people. They love the thrill and, you know, the thrill of maybe failing, but I'm more practical myself. And I also have met a lot of people who, you know, they're not necessarily 18, 20 years old with no family and all this freedom and, and nothing to lose, but they've got a family and they need to take care of people. They need to put a roof over their heads and pay rent and they need something more practical, something that's less like a leap and more of a transition. And so the, the idea behind overlap is having a day job that covers your bills while you build this thing on the side with the main idea being if you didn't have that thing covering your bills, you end up being in a place. I mean, I know a lot of people have been here. I've, I've been there a lot where you feel desperate and you need to like you need to take on this job or take on whatever job you can get just because you need the money and in my case i've had a lot of times where i took on a job with a client and i knew they were not a good client to work with i knew it was going to be a nightmare but i'm thinking ah, i got to do it i i got to take it on for the money and and after i do that immediately i regret it and i hate waking up and going to work even though i was i was freelancing you know i was trying to make my own thing work I didn't enjoy my work and I've just seen so many people get stuck and they, they lose the passion for the thing that they once loved because they got in circumstances that are not ideal. Ooh, touching on a lot of strings, man. I, that sounds like a book. Uh, if nothing else, it is topical and relevant because I know a lot of people, especially with the creative burst of this generation and then the lack of maybe like sustainable opportunities right out of school. It's something that's on the minds of a lot of people. And I think it's a really poignant issue uh, that a lot of artists and creative people generally are, are be, be it classically artistic or entrepreneurial are, are wrestling with. It's the, the practical stuff, right? Like we're, we're good at our art. We're good at our, our, our skills and our creative energies, but a lot of us lack that practical business element. Mm -hmm. Like what does it actually take to make sure I sustain myself and I'm not going to run into this place where I'm worried about bills and living month to month because you can't really do great work like that. When, you, when in the back of your mind, you're worried about the money issue and about supporting yourself mm -hmm. and about finding that next client, it's really hard to do great work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I appreciate, uh, I don't know if this was on your about page or, or where you broke that down, but you're talking about, I think, a little bit of your journey and how eventually you were spending maybe 20% of your time doing the thing that you loved, whether that was hand lettering or design or whatever. Um, and that is, you know, that's something I've found to be true as well uh, in a lot of my creative endeavors, you know, being a freelancer, running a studio. And uh, what you're saying is so true. Like, to do great creative work, it's uh, oftentimes about letting go, but it's so hard to let go when you've got the pressure and the, the sweat forming around you, your brow as you try and figure out you know where the next paycheck's coming from. 
I, totally. Per, perhaps an answer to all of this is is something topical. Vince, would you say? Maybe, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I, I dare say that that might be true. And I think it is. Today we're talking about the concept of being deliberate. Uh, it's something that I know Sean is, is sort of central or at least regularly peripheral to the things that you do. Uh, being deliberate, it's kind of a, it's a word with many potential definitions, but I think where it starts and ends is to be intentional with the things you're doing and why you're doing them. So perhaps the best place to start, Sean, is to get your own opinion on what it means to be deliberate. Yeah, I I mean, to me, being deliberate is being intentional about something. And there are a lot of things that we do that we're not necessarily intentional about, but we might do them regularly. And so it's easy to think that we're intentional because we do something a lot, But for instance, doing your normal work isn't the same as doing deliberate practice. And this can apply to to really any field. But in my case, I don't know, are are either of you guys musicians? Uh, I I produce a little bit and I DJ. Oh, nice. I've done some electronic music myself. Cool. I'm musically Uh, illiterate, so no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I played piano growing up and my teacher could always tell when I didn't practice, and I don't know mm. how, but I <laughs> loved playing piano. I did not love practicing because I had all these theory intensive lessons and I was supposed to have the right, you know, finger numbers on the scales. And I just, oh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to do any of that. And I, I played well, but she could tell when I wasn't practicing and playing the pieces, you know, performing them was not the same as deliberate practice. Mm-hmm. And deliberate practice, can look like a lot of things, but it might be finally taking the time to tackle manual mode on your DSLR, you know, like where you're, you're always avoiding that one thing. Like, oh, I don't really want to, I don't necessarily want to work on that. I'm too busy to work on that. You know, especially if you're not overlapping and you need what you're doing to pay the bills, where do you find that time? Where do you find the extra time in a day to build your skills. Because mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you'll get better as you work, as you do more stuff, but you're kind of getting better the slow way. And if you notice like a lot of broadcasters who have been doing radio or shows for a really long time, they still have these vocal tics, these little quirks and things that they do habitually that are maybe not completely professional, but they're totally cemented into how they do their work. Mm-hmm. And what happens along the way is they stop practicing deliberately. You can imagine many of them started out doing their own recordings, maybe listening back to themselves and actually editing their shows. And eventually they delegate that. Someone else is in charge of the editing and they stop listening back and they stop looking for the problem areas that they can practice, that they can improve. And what happens is over time, you start to cement bad habits So whereas people think the more you do your work, the better your skills are, it's kind of true, but you also risk cementing bad habits. Mm -hmm. With deliberate practice, you're looking for those problem areas and you're taking the time to slow down and practice those out. Yeah, it's, it's being sort of scientific in a way in terms of testing a hypothesis. You know, like having an intention on any sort of creative act 
then gives you something to test it against. Not that everything's about testing with creativity, but uh, I do see so much value. If, even just taking a photo, you know, you're talking about in manual mode, whatever, but like taking a photo with some intention and going in with with a concept or with, you know, specific settings and then testing that gives you some frame of reference that you can then build off of and improve. It's sort of like the core of like what allows you to keep moving forward, it seems like. Yeah, I guess the question then becomes, how do you know what those areas are for yourself? Mm -hmm. Because it's easy to be blind to that. And I, I, I think it's great if you can have a coach or a mentor or someone on the outside, maybe even a trusted peer to help identify those for you. But if you don't have that, one way I found that works really well is just recording myself. Mm-hmm. And and that really depends on, it, it depends on the type of work you do, but um, it could be recording yourself on audio or it could be recording yourself on video. And then you have something to look back on and study or even a piece of content that you could send to someone that you look up to, to give you feedback. Totally. That's, I feel uh, there's a total parallel with DJing. Once I started recording mixes and listening back, I, I learned so much about what I was doing in that process. And you're, you're really like, that is a one-to-one comparison for me, especially with DJing. It's, it's uh, yeah, but of course, you know, what prevents people from doing that, either seeking the help or uh, recording themselves and, and uh, analyzing themselves is fear, I think, most times. Yeah, what do you think, Grant? What do you think people are mostly afraid of? Mm, I mean, there's definite, it's really cliched, of course, but if, for a reason, imposter syndrome. You know, the reason mm-hmm. someone doesn't shoot on manual is because uh, they're afraid of being not being a legitimate photographer. I think it's a scary leap um, and there are scary leaps uh, all along the path of of improving in whatever craft you're improving. Um, but, you know, I think being seen as a fraud or not being good enough or, you know, just being seen in general is scary to a lot of people. I have, uh, and this is maybe going to sound too clever, but one of the things that I fear about reviewing my own work and uh, I think is true of more people than they let on is thinking that it's good and and liking it. And then there's like that meta layer of fear that if someone else doesn't after I show it to them, then not only am I bad at my craft, but I also have bad taste. So it's like the fear compounds upon itself. And if you don't know what to look for and, and if you're not rock solid in your own confidence about what stage in the project you are, it can start a cast like a, a domino effect of fear-based barriers. That's really interesting to me. It's like there's these ceilings. You know, you you improve, but then you come up against this ceiling before you can level up. Because really, I mean you're, you're going to need feedback at some point from someone who's been there before, from someone who's ahead of you. And it does require humbling yourself a little bit. It does require kind of swallowing that pride. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, something I connected with a little bit there, though, it, you know, when you talk about or think about uh, seeking mentors, I think it was in that deliberate chapter you were talking about, you know, just showing up every day for two years. Is that correct? Um, yeah, but then, then this idea that like, 
you should put in six months of work and whatever. I don't know how arbitrary the, the numbers are, but it's really like the idea I respond to. But put in six months of work before you seek the feedback of somebody you really respect or uh, maybe you're like trying to get some sort of mentoring. But it, that that is a thing that happens often too is there's this fear of, uh, of being seen. And then there's, you know, sometimes there's an excitement. Like I want, you know what? Fuck it. I, I want to be seen. And then that work just gets thrown at someone, uh, and it's not ready to be really evaluated. It's tricky with mentors, right? Because mentorship is given. It has to be, it has to come from the mentor. They have to give of themselves. It's, it's something that starts in the heart of the mentor. It's not something you can ask of them. It's something that's given because to ask of it is to ask for a paid service, which is called coaching. Mm-hmm. It's a legitimate thing. It's it's an actual service. You're asking for someone's time to lend their expertise to you to help you improve. So when you ask of it, it becomes coaching. And so you're asking for a paid service to be free when mentorship is something that's given. So if mentorship is something that's given, how how can you find it? And I think the answer is to become a person that someone wants to mentor. Mm. You have to you have to produce the fertile ground that they want to sow into. They need to see the potential that you have. They need to see the willingness. They need to see the drive, the determination, the willingness to learn, the hunger, the tenacity, but also the humility that you don't know everything and you're willing to be wrong. Mm, this is this is fertile ground for conversation because uh, it's I mean it's a cynical thought that every relationship has to be mutually beneficial uh, and it's probably not true on a granular level but the mentor mentee relationship the mentor is looking to learn things too because the reason you mentor someone it's it's not out of like pity pity or pure affinity it's I suppose it could be but often it's because you see potential and you see the potential to see what you're mentoring grow into something that will also teach you about the craft. I like that a lot. And it's why I'll never be a mentor to anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Have you you had significant mentors along your path, Sean? Honestly, not in person. (laughs) But um, the beauty of the internet is, because I see this hold a lot of people back. They're like, I don't have a mentor. And mm. I say, you know what? I never did either. I, it's it's not a guaranteed thing for everyone. It's not something you're you're owed. It's it's an honor. It's a privilege. It's a very special and rare thing if you can manage to get it. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of the internet is you have unprecedented access to the greatest minds in the world. It is incredible the amount of access you have in the age of the internet. And if you think about a mentor-mentee relationship, how much time should you, the student, be speaking? Very little. Mm. Very little. You should be spending most of your time listening and actively applying what you hear. And so it doesn't really matter all that much. Obviously, having a mentor in person, huge, huge thing. What I'm saying is it's not an excuse if you don't have one because it's out there. The people are out there. People are giving. They're creating YouTube videos. They're on podcasts like this, sharing their knowledge. They're there giving you their wisdom 
to apply. And the best way I've found to get the attention of someone who you might want to be your mentor or someone who is a teacher is not to come to them and ask for something, but to come to them and show them the results of you having applied their advice. Mm. So you come to them as a student and you say, I have read everything that you've put out. This is Vincent, where I was talking about the, the, you know, six months is like, do the work, apply the advice from this mentor, from this teacher, go out there and try it, make mistakes, fail, improve a little bit, show that you're willing to put skin in the game and then come to them with the results. This is what, that's all they want to hear. This is like, music to their ears. All they want to hear is that what they've put out in the world has helped someone and someone has gotten results. So you come to them and you say, I applied what you taught me and these were the results. And in a lot of cases, I've seen people become uh, partners with this very influential teacher who's otherwise really hard to get in touch with totally. because they came to them as a student with results. They end up collaborating and doing things together. That's. I mean, there is so much wisdom in that. And I think it's it's reflecting something that's already in this brief conversation so far been coming up a lot and that is a big part of being deliberate is having initiative and initiative is shown in that moment when you come to a mentor and you're not waiting waiting is something that i mean even in in micro mentorship where like people i know this is an experience you've had grant and it's the same for me they just reach out to you how do i break into the scene how do i improve my portfolio these sort of like cries for for a brief moment of mentorship and you know it's passive on their part but taking initiative and being active in seeking your mentorship just like you described sean it's it's extremely good and actionable advice absolutely and and even i think I've had uh, I've had experience with this in connecting with artists I really respect and appreciate. And when you show initiative and offer something up as well, I think that I've gotten really good response from just offering to assist uh, to assist artists whose work I really respond to. And I've just said, you know, hey, if you need an assistant on anything, let's say on a shoot, you know, especially with I do a lot of directing and I do a lot of photography and directing. It's it's really difficult to get it especially not if you don't come up uh like working on a lot of sets and like working your way up and you sort of like back into it it's really difficult to just know what other sets are like and to connect with other directors because directors don't hire other directors but just uh, uh, humbling yourself and just offering to help and and get in the mix in any way and not even even not even worrying about money in those contexts it's opened up a lot of doors for me especially when i come from a place of of genuinely responding to someone's work and attitude who I appreciate. And if you think about it, I, I'm sure you have had a lot, a lot of people reach out to you over the years. And I have to imagine when someone comes from a place of, of just like you described, you know, having applied your principles, but really just being familiar with your work and respecting your time and energy, it's uh, it's a really easy to say yes. And, and that person does rise rise to the top of your mind when you are thinking of when you do have a scenario that might you might need someone or some help. It's like, oh yes, this person I trust. Um, and once you get in the door and you can, can prove yourself, and if you feel confident in your ability to prove yourself, that just really begets so many more opportunities. One hundred percent, you're spot on, and I love what you said about having initiative and that 
breaking through the noise. I mean, one of the best ways to get on someone's radar is to provide no strings attached value. Yeah. Because what does everyone want? What does every website want when you land on it? There's a pop-up asking for your email address. Like, right? Everything is <laughs> asking something uh-huh. of you. Emails. Hey, I, I loved your, your, your free course and your blog posts and your podcasts. Will you do something for me? It's like, what? <laughs> I gave you all this stuff and you're coming to me with another ask. Yeah. When, and, and so many people do it. But when someone comes and they say, I want to help you. Like, is there any way, or sometimes they just show initiative, like you said, Grant, and, and they come up with something. They say, I noticed you had these typos here and I went through and corrected all of them and gave you this list. Like, wow, you know, I'll give you a real example, a real story with, with money attached to it. So within our community, one of our members, um, at the time we had this little chat plugin for streaming our podcast and we noticed that a lot of people were sticking around in the chat in between weekly podcast episodes, just hanging out like a little water cooler. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I want to give people a better way to engage with each other. What if we built this community messaging system? And one of our members, he had been writing little bits of code to help us make the plugin work better and and improving the design and, and the user experience. He was just doing this just to be nice, just to provide value to us. And I was like, I like this guy. He's showing initiative. And I said, would you like to help me build a community messaging system? And he said, well, you know, hang on, let's make sure there's not something else out there. And so we spent two months on project discovery and there just really wasn't anything else out there. Everyone else was shoehorning all of these different solutions, Facebook groups, forums, Slack, and all their members were juggling different logins. It wasn't a great experience. And so we said, okay, we're going to set out, we're going to build our own community messaging system from the ground up. Now I'm kind of wondering here, panicking. I don't know. I'm a little worried. What the heck does a community messaging system cost? At the time I had spent at the most um, on website development and I did the design on this. The most I'd ever spent was $17,000 on website development. But that was my only frame of reference. I don't know what a messaging system costs. Mm-hmm. And so the number in my head was like maybe 20000 I I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Now, he did the right thing. He was smart. He did not ask me for my budget. Because had he asked me for my budget, I would have given the, him this arbitrary number of $20,000 because it popped into my head and I had no frame of reference. Instead, he talked with me talked through the project for, for several months, talked about my goals, how I want, I want to improve the user experience for the people that are in the community and, and the fact that it's growing and more people are coming. But also, the chat plugin that we had was horrible and the, with the way WordPress plugins work, it was basically slowing down the entire site when more than 25 people were online, which was just horrible. And so <laughs> I'm kind of extrapolating into the future. What if I don't fix this problem? It's not just what do I want to make better, but what are the costs of not fixing the problem and running the entire community into the ground until the user experience is so bad and so slow everyone leaves. Mm. So the value of this problem, the fact that I believed in this community, this was years ago, we've been working on it for for over three years now. The fact that I, I believed in the future of this had me ready to invest. And so he came to me with a quote and the quote was $50,000. Mm-hmm. At, 
mm-hmm. at the time I had eighty thousand dollars period in the in the business account. Basically all my money to my name. That was the amount of money that I had. And here he was asking for fifty thousand of it. And I, I had to take a day. I was pacing around my living room. I called my friends, you know, and they said, Well, you know, is this the future for you? Like, do you believe in this? You know? And I said, I do. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I could hire someone overseas for half the amount of money to build whatever I tell them to build. Why should I hire this guy for $50,000? But you know what I could never buy? I could never buy that initiative. Mm. I could never buy the mindset this guy has who's coming to me, who, who is in our community. He was paying to be there. Think about that. I could never buy this. I couldn't buy that mentality. I said, you know what? Let's do it. And I wrote the check and I haven't looked back. And he has since joined the team full time and he's been with us for years. Love it. That is a beautiful, that's a beautiful story. And, um, a beautiful in the most beautiful way. It's a story of practicality and of value and of mutual benefit, but also of just, it's also feel good, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's genuinely pragmatic, but it's also emotionally soothing. And that's, that's what you love to hear. Um, it really speaks. I mean, now we're starting to double back and, and re-harp on this truth that was just illustrated, but that initiative is so important and that it's something that is it's not easy to get. It's not like, or maybe you are, but I'm not endorsing the idea that like you can just create through sheer power of will initiative suddenly because that individual, he needed to first find something that he believed in mm-hmm. and that allowed him to have initiative. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have anything to germinate in, that you know, it's tough to get initiative in the first place. But even still, it takes a tremendous amount of willpower and foresight and hard work to to gain initiative. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like, I feel like that comes from, I think initiative oftentimes comes from just but beyond a natural curiosity. I feel like when you start to really fall in love with anything, whether that's a craft or, um, you know, it could be a sport, it could be a medium. It, there's so many things. Once you start to love something and then once you start to develop in it and actually like work in that field or in that craft and develop those skills, I feel like you get a confidence there and an excitement about something that like like lights a fire of initiative. Once you start to see any sort of like positive progression in, in career or skill or whatever. And I feel like that's where, that's, uh, that's where that fire can come from. And then I, the big thing for me in, in this story was, was that this guy was finding a deliberate fit. And I know I'm using the topic word, and I should get a, a few extra points, Vince, please. Um, but, <laughs> I've got it on the board here, really, yes. Really, that's like, you know, we were talking about mentorship. We were talking about any of these things. So much of, so much of initiative can be misguided or so much of, you know, a desire to be picked or to be mentored, to, be, uh, to have a client. It's like not coming from a place of finding a deliberate fit, uh, deliberate value for both parties and when it is like that really is where the magic happens when you know what you can provide you know what you want um and it just comes from a genuine place that man that's the that's the beautiful moment it it wasn't him going in thinking i'm gonna do this so i can get fifty thousand dollars yeah yeah he didn't even know (laughs) that's right there's no way he could have and it's because these sort of opportunities need to happen organically which i think is another part of being deliberate is knowing where like 
being deliberate is choosing activities that don't require more energy than they're worth. Now that sounds a little cynical, but what it means is like understand what springs up from you, your creativity naturally and harness that. Don't fight against the tide. Don't try to force yourself into doing something that doesn't come to you in at least some sort of organic way. Or maybe I'm way off base, well, Sean. What do you what do you what do you think about that? Well, I've hired about 10 people over the past uh number of years you know it's not a ton of people we've got like half a dozen at the company right now you know different companies but I have never once asked for a resume I have never once asked for what are your credentials what, what what's your college degree I am looking for someone who takes initiative someone who loves to learn and someone who's willing to take responsibility because Everything in life has two things in common. You can find ways to take responsibility or you can find ways to make excuses. Mm -hmm. And for people who have responsibility to give, we want to give it to people who take responsibility. And really, if you have that kind of initiative and deliberate mindset, you can create opportunities for, for yourself where there are no opportunities where there appear to be no opportunities, where the job requirements say things other than what you have in your credentials. Mm -hmm. If you are the type of person that people want to invest in, that they know is, is dedicated to them, this is why providing no strings attached value is so huge. And it doesn't have to be just trying to find a full-time job. I mean, if there is a client you want to work with, the best way to get on their radar is to just make something for them solve a problem for them. Now they're aware of you and you didn't do it in a way where you discounted yourself. You just gave it away. And and the the two prices that acknowledge full value are full price and free. Because if you Hmm. discount a $100 product to $75, the customer values it at $75. If you discount your $2,000 service to $1,000, the client values it at $1,000. However, If they can't afford $2,000 or maybe you just believe in what they're doing so much, you decide to give them pro bono, no strings attached, $2,000 worth of services, they value those services at $2,000. Interesting. Interesting. So um, I, I defer to your history on this sort of matter, Sean, but I would like to counter with a phenomenon that I've witnessed in advertising is that some of the most difficult and um, meticulous and problematic clients that I've ever worked with have been pro bono accounts. And tell me, tell me more about that. I, I'd love to. I think, I think a problem, I think the problem that I'm describing is stemming from the same truth that you're describing, where that you discount your services, um, there's a perception change in the value of those services. Mm -hmm. And I think when it's not an individual working with another individual, which sort of humanizes the amount of discounting going on, I think there is a real problem where the you don't really get a scope of the amount of work, the amount of man hours and money that go into changes, you know, pushed meetings, delays. It feels too much like 
a collaboration when it's really that's not really what it is. That's that's my armchair observation from somewhere in the middle of the totem pole. But I think we've run into a lot of trouble. Clients who have small budget small budgets don't really go over. They don't often exceed their budgets. Clients who have who are pro bono often the projects balloon out of control. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying a hundred percent, and I, I I totally agree with everything you're saying. And maybe the the disconnect or, or just a language thing is that pro bono and and some of the, one of the stipulations that's very important is like mentorship. Pro bono is something that is given. If mm-hmm. a client comes to you and they say, I don't have any money, will you do this for free? That's a red flag. And I always say red flags are like roaches. For everyone you see, there's 50 you don't see. <laughs> so like, that's get good. out of there. You know, that's that's a red flag. If they want free work, like you're done, you know, hit the road. Totally. But if you believe in what they're doing and it's something you want to give, that's kind of the context that I'm coming to pro bono with. We, mm-hmm. we have an oft quoted uh, episode called red flags that where Vince nice. and I really dug into that. And it, that, that is, oof. yeah, man, that you it's, run, run for the Hills. <laughs> it's true. We should, you know what we should do? We should take that quote and retroactively splice it into that yeah, episode. We'll drop it <laughs> uh, I, I'm it's just, true. I'm just curious, uh, Sean, are you a, are you a war of art? Stephen Pressfield fan? I, I, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I have not read the book. I'm, of course, very familiar with the concept because it's so popularized, but I haven't actually read truly it. Truly surprising to me. That is I truly know. surprising. No, that's okay. The only reason I asked was that, I mean, just some of the way you approach uh, things is is reminiscent. And, and actually, uh, even just specifically when, uh, Vince, I'm not sure what you were talking You were talking about uh, kind of like, the, we were talking about excuse making. But uh, really, uh, Pressfield would call that like the resistance. Really, anything mm. that stops you from from sitting down and putting in the work. Um, but yeah, phenomenal. Very reminiscent. I appreciate the uh, the mindset and the philosophies of both. So speaking of other stuff, we like. you know what actually? Yeah, okay, thank you for saving me because I actually had nothing. Yeah, yeah I had nothing. Yeah. Um, we love, as we've mentioned before, to talk to fellow casters. Uh, <laughs> the art of the cast uh, is is the podcast, of course. Yeah. Yes, of course. The, we should we should uh, have something like tongue in cheek. Let's call it the Fisherman's Alliance. And we're, <laughs> it'll, it'll have like a microphone with a little bob um, a bobber microphone. Just, See now, I went straight to like witchcraft and wizardry, and and you know casting spells. Ah, I honestly know? thought you were talking about casting actors, like for oh a film. my god. <laughs> See, and now this is the beauty of language. Um, <laughs> no, we're talking about the podcast, and also Sean. If you're not familiar, each week we do an off-topic topic, which breaks away from the topic at hand to talk about something uh, not particularly germane. And so I this week. It. We are talking about podcasts, and we know that you are a podcaster. And if I'm if I'm tracking correctly, it's actually multiple podcasts over time. Is that true, or am That's, I? That is true. Yes, uh, there's been a, a few podcasts. Some of them have continued. Some of them have gone unbroken for four or more years, and others are uh, some some that we do exclusively for our members. That now that's commitment. Honestly, can you give us a quick, a, a brief synopsis of all the cast that you're involved with? Sure. So the main one is Sean West 
podcast, which is what we started uh, back in 2013. And fun fact, the very first episode, just over four years from today, was on the overlap technique. And it's now four years later. I'm finally releasing the Look book on it. <laughs> so so it's like, I love it's, that. It's I symbolic, really do love you know? That. Uh, so yeah, that's the main one. That's like intersection between creativity and business. We are 334 episodes into that one. Um, I have a, a show that has gone on hiatus, uh, called Lambo goal, which is about setting really big goals. And it's kind of built around this like childhood dream of owning a Lamborghini. And then I kind of lowered my goal to just getting a Mustang <laughs> and feel, feeling the regret of like lowering my goal to the constraints of my current reality. So it's kind of a fun show about thinking bigger. Nice. Um, and then we cool. got one called Fired Up Mondays, just like f- within our community, just to kind of get people going throughout the week. Lovely. That, uh, that's I, awesome. I'm a, I'm a, a, a fanatic for podcasts in general. Uh, so I'm, I'm listening to a bunch of shows. Do you, do you listen to other podcasts? Yeah, yeah. I love podcasts. What, what, uh, what shows do you listen to regularly or any standouts? So one of the first ones, well, maybe not first, but like early ones that I started listening to and still listen to, even though it's kind of veered off in a weird place. You know how you just like fall in love with the hosts yeah. and you're like, whatever they're going to talk like about. Stockholm syndrome at a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> that, wow. That's, that's so, yeah, that is totally it. Yeah. Uh, I, I honestly love Back to Work with okay. Dan Benjamin and yeah. Merlin Mann. I do. I um, sure. love that sure. show. I really did. You know, like, so you know what I'm talking uh, about, right? I absolutely do. I mean, there's something intoxicating about about their dynamic and Merlin. But why did we not leave when they kept talking about comic books? I did. I did leave. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked in the mirror one day and I was like, wait a second. Those guys, those guys have ski masks on and guns in their hands. What am I doing here? <laughs> Uh, wow. Yeah, but those guys, those guys are great. I mean, they're fun. Merlin, man, that guy's a character. Ugh. Oh yeah. I've uh I I also have really I've gone in and out of listening to the James Altucher show. Yeah. Uh in the early days like he's had some really good stuff and then like the audio quality was kind of hard to deal with, but then he improved the audio quality. So I kind of like go in and out with podcasts. Hmm. Um one of the other ones is uh I like Unemployable by Brian Clark. Um, James Shramko's Super Fast Business. Uh, there's a good one uh, if you're launching a book called Book Launch Show. <laughs> Classic. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, that is the beauty of podcasting, though, is that um, it's a super accessible medium. And yeah. uh, it'll, it allows people who have ideas and who have things to share, but not necessarily the resources to do it on a larger scale. Like not everyone has the ability to write a book nor the channels to have it published. Um, now, hopefully in a, in a perfect world, they can find those channels if they really have good content to share. But podcasting is an, is a, like a nice intermediary or intermediate mm. step for, for sharing content. People so with accessible. a good idea can, yeah, exactly. It's really easy to get your message out there, which is nice. It's really nice. Yeah, and it's also easy to gradually improve. Like pretty much anything you have has a built-in microphone and some people cringe, you know, most podcasters cringe about that. But it's really like if you treat it seriously, you make sure to record when it's quiet, you you do a little post-processing, you get your first 20 shows out and then get, get a microphone and then improve the microphone and then get a preamp and, you know, you can go crazy. Totally. This, <laughs> it sounds like a similar uh, totally. progression. I, I haven't gone crazy at all. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, uh, that's Vin- nice. Vinny, do you... So you... Vince has a... Or had had another podcast? Are you guys officially done? Yeah, well, we're on hiatus until 2018. Uh, okay, and then okay. resuming uh, is not yet decided. In the meantime, we're going to do a mini-series called... I'm glad I get to plug this suddenly. Uh, building a better bond. <laughs> when we're gonna do breakdown of the last of the eight James Bonds that there have been. Have you ever listened? I've never listened to the show, but have you listened to James Bonding? No, like no. A, is that a podcast? Matt, Myra, and another Matt. Uh, uh, and they, yeah, they're just huge Bond nerds. Talk about Great. Bond, yeah. So we'll be walking treaded ground. It sounds like. <laughs> um, but yeah, before that, we had a, another an improv podcast, and uh, it's it was really awesome to meet all the like the comedic minds that were in Portland and Chicago and Minneapolis, and oh, nice. that that like was like the best guests? thing to come out of the yeah, oh, yeah exactly yeah, totally fantastic. You know, it's actually been great. I, I listen to a lot of improv podcasts. Uh, how did this get made? Well, that's less improv. It's more just conversation. But I like comedy, bang bang. I'm a big fan of. Um, oh yeah, and uh, Hollywood Handbook. I remember. Oh I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, that one is a true Stockholm syndrome. Like <laughs> that show is so meta. It is so inaccessible. I can't. Po- I can't even recommend it to anyone. I mean, it's a harsh word. It's completely inbred to the point of almost intolerance. It's insane. The, their most recent episode, they will. They, Okay, they threatened to cancel, to stop doing the show. The past, like, 40 episodes, they've, like, pretended they were going to... This is the last one. It's, like, it's pretty messed up. But my point, I was going to say, is I now live um, blocks from UCB Franklin. Uh, And so I've been going to a bunch of improv shows. Oh, Vince, I'm so sorry. This is, like, really inside podcasting and inside our specific show. But I actually went to... I've been going to Justin Michael, uh, his improv show. He has a one every Friday night. And he was a former guest. Uh, former guest, uh, the Before You Were Funny podcast, Justin Michael and Jacob Reed. But I met him in person. What a treat. So cool. So I love cool. inside jokes. Yeah. <laughs> Be a part of one someday. Yeah, man. Well, <laughs> uh, that's good. That's we'll classic. I'm sure, I'm sure that uh, your own podcasts have at least a thin metal yeah. layer. Come on. You, oh, have a, yeah. you have a paid you have community. To. You have a paid yep. community. That is like the ultimate inside joke. You have to. Okay. Have to. <laughs> uh, as for what I'm liking to listen to le- recently, I'm really into like, I've started using podcasts as a much more occasional indulgence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I listen to like storytelling style cool. ones. Um, lore is one that I really like uh, specifically. It's like basically a storytelling series about little quirks and and offhand tales and buried news articles from America's prehistory. Love it. Such yeah. a, you're such a nerd. Total nerd. Grant, we've touched on it already. What are you listening to like uh, right now? Yeah, comedy stuff. Uh I've been I went pretty deep on the how I built this with Guy Raz. That uh, are you familiar with that at all, Sean? I'm not. Oh, no. wow, man. I I I give that one a ri- well that uh for startup people that's such an easy recommend they have a bunch of founders on i mean it's not unlike masters of scale with reed hoffman but it's a little bit more like fun npr kind of storytelling fantastic like 
uh, all these different founders, Airbnb, uh, the last one was Edible Arrangements, Rent the Runway, Kickstarter, like really cool stories. They just have the founders on. It, and another show that's actually a lot like this, which is the easiest podcast to recommend. Sorry, this is the longest off-topic topic I think we've ever done. But I'm, I'm a <laughs> This is the best one. I'm a huge podcast nerd. <laughs> You're right. Uh, yeah, You're right, yeah, yeah. Sean. It is. Uh, but uh, uh, Song Exploder, fantastic. Like 15, 20-minute episodes. They have the artist on. They talk about a specific song. It's, it's so good. Well, guys, speaking of podcasts, super subtle segue here. We did something pretty cool. I don't know if you saw this with the the overlap audiobook, which I recorded myself because you have if you write a book, you you have to do your own audiobook. Of that's course. like that's that's the unspoken rule. Yeah, yeah. But you should you <laughs> Wait, should speak really? it. <laughs> well, it's okay. the worst. It's the worst when you read a book written by a person and they didn't narrate it themselves. Totally. It's so frustrating. <laughs> anyway, so we put together this audiobook. But we did something pretty cool where we're huge podcast nerds and, you know, a lot of people in our audience love podcasts. We decided to deliver it as a podcast. So nice. basically when you get the audiobook, which uh, if you guys are okay, I'd love to give everyone listening a copy of the audiobook Please, for man. free. That sounds great. Especially um, if they made sounds... it this far, like they, yeah, they yeah. kind of earned it, there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's great. Basic, basically you would like, You'd get it. In your case, you would check out for $0. You'd get the audiobook, and we give you this link. It's a feed link, and you drop it in your favorite podcast app. So whatever you're listening to this episode on, you drop it in, and instantly there's the book. There's all the chapters. You don't have to download MP3s and sync and all that stuff. And uh, people have been saying, this is the way audiobooks should be awesome, delivered. Awesome, man. That's great. Beautiful, man. That's I, And you know what? It does segue, and I know you subtly pointed out the subtleness, the subtlety oh, in your that own segue. So, subtle. <laughs> so now I have to smear all over it. Um, but Thank it does you. bring us back to talking about deliverance because uh, when you, it shows that you have an understanding of what you're doing, which is another one of the pillars upon which being deliberate is built. Dude, it's, you're being meta about my meta metaness. <laughs> I can't stop it. I can't stop myself. Um, and I really appreciate that because if there's one thing that can be absolutely certain about listening to you talk about what's important to you is that you have a deep understanding of it. And that shows respect for the topic. So thank you so much for joining us and thank you for your wisdom. Um, if you if you would be willing, we have a couple of questions for you to wrap things up. Of course, man. It's it's been my pleasure to be here. So thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, definitely a treat. And Vince, just it's been going pretty well. Please don't mess this up. I know <laughs> in, in the past there have been a few hiccups, and I, it would just, uh, yeah, it, it would you know, mean, it would mean a lot to me if you could just focus and really nail this, guys. Deep guys, breaths. I I am the oldest of thirteen kids. Oh my and God. so what? I am ready for anything. That is wild. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's, I mean, I've heard of some big families. That's actually quite, quite big. Um, okay. With that added pressure, <clears throat> how can our listeners support you, Sean? Wow. Um, well, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier. Like I like to give no strings attached value. I don't like to start something off with an ask. So I would rather give them something that hopefully helps them. And I would say, go get the audio book. Like if we could set up, I don't know if you guys want to make a link for it or I could make yeah. a link for it, for, you know, to give them the audio book. Honestly, that would be the best thing. Totally. I'm being hundred percent, serious. We, no, absolutely. Well, we can, uh, we'll, we'll set up a link. We'll figure that out. We could probably drop that into the, uh, the intro or at least the show notes. We, we link out everything. 
Yep. So awesome. find one there. Uh, and your generosity is, it's awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Everyone who's listening, go, go get it. I know I will be. Thanks, man. So, okay, I, I that thought, was kind of a weak question, but I feel like you were warming up. That was, uh, <laughs> I, just as far as grades go, I thought pretty good, guys. That was pretty good. Uh, on the first one, Vince, nice delivery. Sean, great response. That's what I go for, man. <laughs> just like pretty good, like a solid seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, the second question does have a little more depth to it. If you would like our listeners to take one thing away from your time on the show, Sean, what would you want that to be? Well, we kind of hit on the provide no strings attached value, right? So we got to give them something else. Yeah. Do, does it have to be about deliberate practice or can it be? Nope, go off script. This is your time to shine, man. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm going to give you a little teaser. And if this irritates you or you feel like there's something more or you're lacking clarity, the rest is in the book. You can be known for one thing or you can be known for nothing. Now, that is a general it's it's a generalization true there are people who are known for multiple things but they almost never did them all at once so just understand that everyone is up against a cognitive limit they can't process all of your complexities there's too many people in the world they're going to simplify you they're going to put you in a box and you can't do anything about it but what you can do is define the box they're already going to put you in if you get specific about what you want to be known for and you project that one thing even though there's there's many things there's many things that you're interested in there's a lot of things that I'm interested in that I didn't talk about because if I shared all of them you wouldn't remember any of them but if you focus you stand a chance of being remembered and standing out talk about saving the headline for the last line I mean that's a that is a contentious and fascinating point of view and uh, I think, you know, you've, you've won one reader because I got to know what you're talking about, man. That's awesome. I love it. That's awesome, man. It, it, um, is, it is an excellent point. Uh, I, will, I will also point out my, <laughs> my brand is slash grant.com and I thrive on being a multi-hyphenate and ah! <laughs> <laughs> So I'll just you're have right, to have you right. back on, yeah. Sean. We'll okay, um, I love it. <laughs> yeah, th- hey, thank you so much for your time, man. Uh, it, it was a treat digging into, digging into overlap a little bit. And of course, just spending some time with you. Uh, you're, you're a real generous dude with the work you're doing. And uh, I think it shows. So, so thanks, man. Thanks, yeah. guys. This has been fun. Keep up the great work. I, I love the vibe we got going here. Yeah. Uh, thanks, dude. Uh, uh, can you give us a ship it to send us out? That's how we wrap every show. Our guest says the words ship it. That's kind of our, our mantra. And uh, it'd mean a lot if you could send us off that way. Ship it. Okay.